Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Join me today, now recurring guest in the Baskin-Robbins Employee of the Century, it's Shane Chernoff. Shane, thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, and uh, it's an honor to be promoted from uh, one-time substitute to uh, maybe I'm, I'm considered the sixth man now, but Employee of the Century works too. <laughs> I, no, I, I very, very, very happy to have you back. Uh, Maya, our Marvel correspondent, is getting married in a month and is staying away from, is sworn off movie theaters until she does. Can't blame her. Don't want to get COVID before a wedding. So Shane was nice enough to step in as he is uh, probably the next one of the next biggest Marvel fans I know after Maya. And he's a, a, just a natural replacement because he has a podcast of his own. He'll plug a little later uh, that, you know, I figured why not have the guy I know that has a podcast that knows Marvel really well uh, join for this one. So it's uh, top podcast. Don't forget to rate subscriber and then uh, unsubscribe, resubscribe, re-rate, and re-review. There you go. And we'll remind you to do that at the end of the podcast, too. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is the newest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I guess the unofficial kickoff to Phase 5. Is that correct, Shane? Sort of. I think it previews the big bad in Phase 5. So we're kind of like in the in-between Phase 4 and 5 right now, where they're kind of going out of Doctor Strange. Uh, to the extent that you haven't seen it already, we've introduced the multiverse. Now we need to figure out who's the big bad that replaces Thanos. Who's the biggest threat in the universe left now that Thanos is out of the picture? Yeah, it's interesting, too, in that, like, uh, I think it's been, you know, a, a little while since, uh, I like, we, 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 we kind of get reintroduced at the start of this movie to uh, some version or variant, if you will, of King the Conqueror, who is uh, played by Jonathan Majors, who we haven't seen in uh, almost two years because he popped up at the very end of the Loki series, which was on in June and July of 2021. Uh, and we see him, uh, you know, interact with Janet Van Dyne, who is, uh, uh, who, who is trying to, uh, you know, uh, fight off some other aliens somewhere in the quantum realm where we knew she was banished for a very long time. And uh, all of a sudden they kind of, they, they kind of link up, but not really sure what's going on with where they are. And then we jump back to San Francisco and uh, we're back with Scott Lang as he is enjoying his celebrity from helping save the world and doing book signings, writing about his experiences and being you know, taken as Spider-Man. Yeah. And uh, all the benefits that come with that as well with, you know, free Starbucks as opposed to having to pay $12 for it, which honestly probably isn't that much of an exaggeration with how much things cost in the Bay area, I guess. Um, and, uh, but also I'm um, doing a little bit of troubles on the home front. Uh, his daughter, Cassie now, uh, now a full grown teenager, uh, is, you know, out there, uh, living the activist lifestyle and getting thrown in jail and, uh, Scott's having to kind of deal with the fallout of that. But at the same time, they seem like they have a, a nice family unit going on that just doesn't communicate all that well to talk about that a little bit. Cause it turns out that, uh, Cassie has been working both with hope and Hank to, you know, build her own device that gets, uh, that can communicate with the quantum realm. For some reason, they didn't tell Janet who, for some reason, didn't tell their family about just, just how bad the quantum realm is. And they, they, they kind of get sucked down there when Cassie is demoing her new device. And, uh, they all of a sudden learn that like, Hey, uh, they, this guy, this Kang guy, he might be after them. And there's all these other obstacles in the quantum realm that we are introduced to that we really didn't know about before. Cause all we knew is that it was a place that Scott got trapped at one point and Janet was trapped for a long time. And, that's basically it. And we're thrust into this whole new world from there. Uh, Shane, the, where I want to start in talking about this movie before we kind of delve back into the plot is I'm curious because I came into this movie with actually really low expectations. As I'm sure you've seen, this has been one of the more critically panned Marvel movies to date. Uh, I think the, basically like uh, right, just about as low of, of reviews as Eternals, the last movie Shane joined for, uh, which is a, just a very different kind of movie, though at the same time, again, just has not been all that well received. I came because I didn't see it till the Sunday after it came out. I had had a, a few days to see the reactions. It had lowered my expectations. And I'm also someone that's a little iffy on this whole multiverse thing. I think it's very complicated. It can has the potential to get convoluted. And I don't love what it possibly does to like the stakes of any given story where it's like, oh, is that person really dead or can they just bring him back? Uh, what, 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 like what, what other timeline are we traveling to now? It just seems like it's maybe unnecessarily complicated while at the same time, just like not really to much benefit because I'm I'm in the camp of people that were a little let down at the end of Avengers Infinity War. It's like, someone's going to die. I just want them to be dead. I don't want to know that they're going to live or I have to wonder like, are they actually dead? It seems like it robs it of some dramatic stakes. So I came in like really kind of dreading like some, a bunch of multiverse mumbo jumbo. And I came in and, and that was why I was a little hesitant about this. I'm wondering, are you someone that like, has enjoyed where they've kind of been like heading since the end of Loki and kind of seeing all the possibilities here that we saw at the end of 
you know, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and things like that. Are you kind of really excited for the possibilities that come into this or were your expectations also a little uh, iffy coming into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? So I think it's a two-part question, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're talking about what were your expectations coming in versus the reality after you saw it? And then the second part of your question was, what do you think about the direction that uh, that the writers and, and everybody yeah. at the MCU are taking the, the MCU right now? I want to address the first part because mm-hmm. I knew as soon as I went onto Rotten Tomatoes and saw that it was a 44% audience score, but or a, a 44% critic score and an 85% audience score that I was going to love this movie. <laughs> and that's And that's my rule, right? One of my favorite movies ever, Major League Two, 87% audience score, 5% critic score. Five? Fun, fun fact, five. I think I've seen Major League Two. It's been a while. I mean, I'm worried now. I'm worried now. Now I'm afraid to go back and watch Major League Two because I might I might align more with the critics on average than you do. You know? I am not lying about that. It's a five percent, <laughs> but I knew. The, the, and the issue is right. Your critic is is looking. I think beyond the depth that your average audience member is looking at. I think the average audience member is looking for an escape and wants to have fun. And your critic is going to be looking for what is the artistic value of this? You know, is it going to hold up? down the road when you watch it as a piece of art as opposed to somebody that's i want to watch it with my friend or i want to watch it with my son or i want to watch it with my daughter uh i knew that going into it it was going to be fun and it was going to be action-packed and and that was what i got uh i was very happy with the way that the movie eventually ended up unfolding and what i mean by that is basically for the first 20 or 30 minutes you were just getting the tea up that you had from the trailer you were, if you had seen the trailer, you understood what was going to be happening. And there was just a little bit more dialogue and a few jokes that were, that were thrown in there. Um, but once uh, Paul Rudd and, you know, uh, Evangeline Lilly and the rest of the cast of the movie, Michael Douglas, Michelle Fiverr, got to interact with the rest of the characters in this quantum realm uh, universe and the com- lines of communication started opening up. Uh, that was when the movie really started to take off. Um, I thought Jonathan Majors, well, one thing that all the critics were saying was that Jonathan Majors really made the movie, or in some in some people's opinions, they said that he made the movie. I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I think he's an excellent, compelling villain. He's a good choice for them to tap to be um, the, the main villain throughout the rest of this arc that's going to go the next couple of years. Uh, and, and if, it depends on what you know and what you don't know about the Marvel Universe, as far as what are your expectations for going forward? And do I like it going forward? If you watch the cartoon series or read the comics like I did, you all, you would know that uh, King the Conqueror is one of the most intense. Uh, I guess we'll call it badass for lack of a better term. He's, he's a great compelling villain with depth and layers and uh, he's, he's tough to stop. And so Picking him, I think, is a good decision for, for the MCU going forward. The only other question that I had walking out of the theater is, me perhaps looking a little bit too far ahead, what do they have after that? But right now, I think that's a very good lead up to what's ultimately going to be a big showdown with King the Conqueror. Yeah, well, so on the whole, I sound, I, I probably was not quite as high on the movie as you were, but as I noted before, like my expectations were so lowered that like there wasn't like a high bar to clear for me to walk out of the movie feeling good. And I think I just like, I think I respected how I thought they were able to like actually tell a fairly self-contained story. Like I, I thought it was going to be a bunch of timeline jumping, just the way I built it up in my head or what I feel like I had heard anecdotally. I just thought it was going to be just a bunch of jumping between universes, timelines, um, multiverse, everything. I thought it was going to be so crazy. And I, I was, just, I think I was just like happy that they told a linear story and I got an, I got, I got some laughs in. And got a great villain performance, and like, and I so I left feeling good. I would say, uh, one, I, I agree with you on Jonathan Majors, and that like I think he's, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does with it because, you know, even if like the multiverse stuff, whenever they do get in the meat of it, even if that's not my favorite thing, I'm excited to see everything he does because as you as they tease at the end, he's going to be playing a lot of different variants, and you're going to see him do a lot of different things, and he's really he's really a great actor, and I I don't know if you've actually I don't know if you've seen him in anything else aside from Loki because he's done some stuff, but I'm not well, sure. That, if, well, that was what I was going to say. I know he's yeah. in that 
a fighter pilot movie from like I I don't know. So I, I, and, I, and that's like the one thing he has done that I have not seen. He did Devotion, which is a fighter pilot movie with Glenn Powell, who did two fighter pilot movies in one year since he was in Top Gun. Also, um, but like he he first worked out with uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco, like an indie movie from twenty eighteen or nineteen, and did uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO. Did the Five Bloods, the Spike Lee movie, and it's gonna be yeah, in, didn't, and it's gonna didn't see any of those, and it's gonna be in Creed three in a month, which I'm sure you will be seeing. And uh, yes. yeah, so I'm like, he's just everywhere now. And he is like, like, honestly, like the hottest name in Hollywood. And he, 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 he deserves all that. He has that much charisma and is just like very, very compelling in the villain role. And that alone, like would have been worth the price of admission. But like, I think the movie held up better, a little bit better story wise than I was expecting. And that got it over the hump for me. The one, my one big thing I would say, though, that I wish the movie had done differently is I wanted a little more time, like in San Francisco at the beginning. To like kind of see what this new normal was that the family had gotten to. And I thought that would have like, you know, been interesting because I kind of enjoyed their back and forth and their banter and all that when they were like having dinner. That was like and and, and I think I enjoy some of the stuff that the real world has to offer when you are playing with the the PIM particle technology and everything it can do in the real world as opposed to what it can do in the quantum realm. Like, you know, I, there's been a lot of discussion amongst the critics that I've read about like, is this getting too far away from what made the first couple of Ant-Man movies special? And, you know, because they felt very distinct within the Marvel Universe when you had something as low stakes as the first Ant-Man movie where it's like, are they going to sell these weapons or not? And then you have like the the climactic fight scene is on a Thomas the Tank Engine set or uh, Thomas the Tank Engine set and or, or or like that big epic briefcase battle or, you know, or something with like just like even what happened when Scott was like in the bathtub and you kind of lose some of those like, you know, depth perception size, like side gimmicks. When yeah. you are when you kind of go into the quantum realm and they got away from a lot of that stuff, and like I like I like I really enjoyed them like blowing up that pizza for dinner and like we saved eight dollars. Or uh, the the psych gags are always going to be there. I think when you have when well, you have they, they just weren't there a ton once they got to the quantum realm though. There was some shrinking, but like I kind of like the way they can utilize that on Earth better, and I wanted a little more setup for the family. You know, it's kind of interesting in that, like, we know Janet was gone for 30 years, but then they go into the quantum realm, you know, at the end of, uh, you, you know, they go into the quantum realm at the end of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And so it's like, she doesn't seem as afraid of it then, you know, and then all of a sudden now, like, it seems just to, like, be convenient for the plot she's not telling them all this important information which is like a pet peeve of mine in pop culture when someone is withholding information for no good, real good reason other than to like create a plot point and i would have wanted to like learn a little bit more about how their relationships have been forming since then like why 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 are hank and janet really hiding stuff from each other like shouldn't they be like as in love as ever after being separated for so long and things like that and i think that could have like and, and you could have done a little more to set up scott and cassie and where they were at in the relationship, he didn't seem to be as involved in her life as he could have been and know what was going on with her. And I feel like because they're trying to like kind of build on some of those family dynamics once they're in the quantum realm. And I think I just and I, and I like looking at San Francisco visually a little more than I like looking at the quantum realm, which for being honest, is just like they shot this thing 95 percent on green screens, you know, and I also yeah, that, that well, so we'll get to that because some of that stuff is really funny, and, <laughs> and, 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 and I think that goes to like what I actually did like about the quantum realm. I just wanted some stuff set up better for our characters, and because then as much time as we spent in the quantum realm, I don't know if it was like spent getting to know those quantum realm characters as much as I would have liked. So I'm curious, after hearing about it for so long, for the last couple of years, what did you actually think of like what getting to spend a uh, uh, an actual extended period of time in the quantum realm and how? Uh, how Peyton Reed, the, the 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 director, like actually kind of brought this uh brought this corner of the MCU to life. I was very happy about the fact actually that they didn't spend a lot of the movie in San Francisco because mm. when when you, you have, didn't you didn't you didn't miss Luis. I I did. I thought about that. I was like, damn. I I was hoping that maybe Ti or or Michael Pena were gonna were gonna make a cameo at, at the end or or at some point, uh, but they didn't. That's the downside. The upside is, you know, if you spend a third movie in San Francisco, you run the risk of making it seem stale, having it uh, sure. be a retread of previous plot points or, or prior Ant-Man storylines. This was ambitious. They took a realm that had been referred to throughout a bunch of movies and they showed you what was down there. They showed you what what was going on and nobody had any idea how it was going to turn out. And to be honest, um, it felt a little bit like, honey, I shrunk the kids for the first 30 minutes or so. Uh, but once you actually set up the characters and got the plot points, it wasn't just um, 
you know, visual gags of, of shrinking or growing. Uh, but there were a lot of interesting characters and, and plot lines down there. As far as Janet not being completely uh, candid, I think you have to like explore her psyche as a character, right? Here's somebody who spent decades and we know that time doesn't work the same way down there. There's, there's a line in the movie where uh, Paul Rudd says, you know, where Hank says, uh, Scott says to his daughter, we could be down there for five minutes or five years. We don't really know. She spent a very long traumatic time down there as you'll, as you'll learn to explore in the movie. And I think it's a question of she's finally pulled out of that space and she wants everything to be perfect, white picket fence and everything like that. So one, one theory I heard, which I think was only in some half joking on another podcast was, do you think that like she lied because she didn't actually have sex with Bill Murray? She had sex with Kang and she didn't want uh, Hank to feel a threat. <laughs> I, I never thought of it until just now. I think every, everything's on the table in the MCU. You just never know. She, she has needs. Yes. Uh, that, 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 that was like a very... Uh, uh, a very funny scene um though but yeah i i, I kind of hear what you're saying on like wanting kind of a fresh reset away from away from the away, away from san francisco i guess that is even if it wasn't necessarily the scenery maybe i just wanted a little more time with the family before they kind of got split up and were left to their own devices in that way but more specifically though i think you did get a little bit of that like in that scene uh where you know with bill murray and so which i mean I, as, as i'm sure you might have seen other people make the point it feels like they were kind of like getting a bit of a star Wars vibe in there uh, just with like, yeah. you know, all the creatures and the um... also Bill Murray a little wasted. Don't you think, were you disappointed that it was really only in there for one scene and they didn't, I think that's the kind of I think that's the kind of thing Bill Murray likes to do. He likes to pop in somewhere if someone gets his attention because he, as he notoriously doesn't have a cell phone, is hard to get a hold of, hard to actually get to be in your movie. And sometimes he just wants to pop in and have a little fun. He doesn't necessarily want to like get sucked into being committed in anything, being committed to anything for that long. So I wasn't expecting him to be a huge part of the movie necessarily. It was more like, oh, Bill Murray's stopping by to have some fun with Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. But I, I, I did kind of enjoy that scene and see that back and forth. And I guess I, it was, I was just kind of wanting a bit more of that. But like, I think that was like a good introduction to that world that I was asking you about earlier. Like, I, I enjoyed the, like the drink this thing and all of a sudden the languages make sense. And then that was getting, a turning point of the movie for me. That really? was went from I don't know what it was going to be to okay, I'm good now. Okay. Because you started to get introduced to the characters instead of it just being this strange world and what is this thing? What is that thing? Things start to make sense. And so, isn't, that so, what you, isn't that what you want? You want a movie to make sense eventually? Well, so did the, what, what, which of those characters do you actually like kind of enjoy the most? Because it's, it's part of the things I struggle with a little bit in thinking about it is that, you know, I like some of their moments and I, I like some of those character moments in isolation specifically. You know, we got the, we got uh, William Jackson Harper plays a guy, uh, someone named Quaz, who's a telepath. Uh, and there's uh there's a uh, Gentora played by Katie O'Brien, a freedom fighter uh, that's pops up around. And there's a uh, uh, David Desmalchian who actually uh, plays one of like the, the, the prison crew in the first two movies. He voices, he voices Veb, a slime like creature that has holes. <laughs> his body and uh in yeah. like you know but honestly i could not have told you any of their names until i just looked at it in wikipedia like so i don't know if, the, if they made as much of an impression as they wanted to but i did like get i did enjoy them them in isolated moments uh what did you think about just getting to see like because honestly i didn't realize because i've not read the comics maybe you were kind of expecting it i didn't know till like this movie that like there's actually like whole like communities of beings there i don't know if they refer to themselves as humans or people uh but there's there's whole communities there and like i i kind of just thought like the quantum realm was just like desolate when uh based on what what we little we'd heard of it within the confines of the mcu what did you think of like actually its depiction of like this is like a place where some form of beings even if they're not people even if they look like people live and have some kind of life that is now getting you know threatened by kang's aims yeah i mean candid Candidly, I watched the uh, I watched the shows and I've read the comics and just like with the real universe, there's really infinite directions that you can go when you're when you're thinking of Marvel or consuming Marvel. Uh, I never really got to any of the quantum realm sub stories. I wasn't familiar with any of the characters and I'm not going to pretend that I was. That being said, I thought they were uh, a very welcome addition. And that, that was kind of like uh, his his wacky crew of side characters like he had in San Francisco in the first two movies, uh, but they just had different counterparts, right? Um, on top of wanting uh, Katie O'Brien's workout routine, because damn, she was she was ripped in that movie, and that was legitimately <laughs> impressive. Um, the performance by William Jackson Harper as Quaz, uh, his deadpan was just fantastic throughout the mm. whole movie. 
Uh, I think they utilized him really well. They didn't overuse him. Uh, you, you had a, a bunch of different uh, unique characters that you wouldn't necessarily see in, in a normal, real, we'll call it real-world Marvel movie. And the Quantum Realm, I guess, is always shifting. From what I understood and, and by some of the dialogue and some of the plot points, that it was sort of a desolate wasteland and it was built up, I think, a little bit more after uh, Kang ended up occupying it. So I think that probably attributed to how much development there was. And I wasn't I wasn't mad about it because, you know, there is now a subworld that can be explored at any point later. They can put a pin in it and go right back. Yeah. So I, I guess they that's a good thing. I, I, I don't need to get necessarily too hung up on the fact that I didn't necessarily get to know all of those characters as much as I maybe would have, because I think it works either way. In some ways, I've seen people on both sides of the argument. But like on the one hand, like from what I understand, that's somehow maybe what it's kind of like reading a comic book in some ways, like you might just pop into one place for a while and you never go back there. And you, 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 they hopefully it creates a vivid enough world for you to be in in that moment. But at the same time, there with all the time jumping and portal portals and multiverses and all of that, like you could very well end up back here and be like, oh, cool, him again. You know, I think I, I think it does kind of work uh, either way. And and but like again, that I so I, I I'm not I'm not too uh, I'm, I'm I don't come down on it too them too hard for it though i i do think like maybe you know as much time as we like were kind of down there in the quantum realm maybe i could have gotten to know them a little better i think uh i do think like like you mentioned william jackson harper's deadpan humor but like he has some serious moments too i think he might in a way kind of gets like the the most well gets to be the most well-rounded of those uh three characters that we meet uh but you know i think they they do kind of serve their purpose but like uh and i mean they're there longer than and it almost feels like we get to know bill murray longer even though he probably has less screen time than the others uh we we get a lot of exposition background from him about how he kind of used to like fight with janet but now it seems like he's answering the kang a little bit and is trying to sell him out and then they go on the run from there as they're trying to find scott and cassie who who end up like you know end up with kang uh like kind of sooner rather than late end up in kang's grasp a little sooner rather than later uh kang is threatening cassie's life and he's still trying to like get out of the quantum realm where he's been banished by like a lot of the other kangs he wants to get out he needs like the power source for his ship and Scott being what he knows to be like a, you know, kind of a, a thief that can pull off jobs as it is. He wants him to kind of utilize his powers to go down and shrink his power source, bring it back to him. And I'm in, I'm in. And he had the one thing, and he had the one thing that came in, which was the pin particles, which were going to make it happen to begin with, because that was how his, how his power system got ruined to begin with. Yeah. I was a little confused by that. Cause they, they mentioned that he needs pin particles. And I, I saw for some point, I thought he was just going to like, you know, I, I I wasn't sure like if he could get. I guess he couldn't just get those from his suit. He needed something more on top of that. But I was like, is he just going to steal their suits at some point? Maybe you would think with the with the advanced technology that he had that he would have invented it or been able to like reverse engineer it. I at some, some point, but that's okay. We don't have to worry about it. Well, when we talked about the ending, I have some questions about just how powerful he is or isn't at any given moment in this movie. Uh, but we 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 see we we see Scott go down there. Uh, he, he ends up in a whole thing where he is you know being helped by a bunch of other Scots that uh kind of you know uh that that just end up like helping him along as if they're like a bunch of entities we've seen uh their probability, probability scots right they're right right, him, right the consequences of him making a different choice in each scenario creates an additional number of scots that eventually kind of overwhelm him and, and then kind of and then hope kind of like you know uh is able to kind of help him at the end there though oddly enough i don't know i mean i guess i was going to kind of just ask you anyway about the, like the scott cassie corner of this movie but it's funny it's still i i'd almost forgotten as we were watching it that it's actually still called ant of the wasp or i i forgot as i was still watching that was ant and the wasp bill in that like i don't think hope's given a lot to do in this movie there's been some stuff there's there's some stuff out there about how like you know and evangeline Lee might not have had the you know best opinions on vaccines and whatnot. And uh, who knows that there was a little bit of a Letitia Wright problem going on on set because people kind of heard that that kind of created some problems on the Black Panther set. Maybe they had to like, I don't know if they minimized her role or that was just like how it got written. But like the Wasp doesn't have a ton going on in this movie. There's just a lot more Scott and Cassie. I'm wondering uh, how, whether, I mean, I mean, if you have any thoughts on Hope, that's fine. But I guess I was more curious because that's where the movie's priorities were. Like, what did you think about like the Scott-Cassie relationship? Because we really kind of see Cassie... Uh, uh, just in you know scenes here and there is like the the um the little daughter he wants to get back to in the first couple ant-man movies and then we see like a you know a rather emotional but very brief uh reuniting at the uh in in end at the beginning of endgame 
And that's really all we knew, Cassie. I, 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 well, I guess she might be put in danger at the end of the first Ant-Man too, and that whole thing takes place in her bedroom. But she's recast now with Catherine Newton, who's like a more well-known actress. Um, and yeah, I think the movie like wants you to be really invested in just like their relationship somewhat. I don't know if it, and she, she is upset that he is not really like kind of back to being a superhero in the same way. He's trying to kind of hold her back from a lot of this, protect her, and maybe some, it's fairly, I guess, maybe typical dad, teenage daughter kind of conflict. I'm wondering, what do you think of like their part of the movie and uh, how they how they were depicted as like, you know, kind of coming together in some way? It, did, did, did you buy it? Did you like her performance? Uh, did you have any dis- or primary takeaway thoughts from them as you left the theater? I think overall, you know, they gave her the baton and they gave her the opportunity to run with it. And I think, I think she did a, a good job given what she had to work with. Mm-hmm. As far as as splitting uh, Hope off with uh, her parents, it was kind of like a movie that was the story of two family field trips. Hmm. And I think it's a really human experience on on both sides. For one, you have the first two movies when uh, when Scott's daughter, Cassie, loves him unconditionally and thinks that he is he can walk on water and can do just about anything. And then your daughter grows up and she becomes a teenager and she starts not necessarily having her own thoughts because she she always did. But like the, the worldview changes as you age and she's doing, by the way, surprise how liberal they went with it. Like uh, the political messages about the, the homeless camps and and helping people who can't be helped didn't they, didn't, well, I, about socialism. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> the socialist ants, that was actually kind of funny. But like they did say that the homeless thing. I mean, I guess that it is it is getting political, but didn't they specifically note that it was like people that didn't have a home when they got back from being blipped? Well, it's like a problem yeah, within that, that world. That's the that's the prophylactic that they use to make you right, not right, right, right. politicize it and apply it to the real world. But we do know which political party would probably do more to help the homeless. Yes, I would. I would think there would be one over the other. But yes, that regardless of that, you've got a daughter growing up, trying to recognizing her role in the world. And then in, in a different phase of your life, you have hope on the other side who sees kind of the phrase and um, sort of the, the cracks in the foundation in her, her two parents relationship. Um, and I'm sure you'll, you'll see that growing up. I'm sure there are a lot of people that as they grow older, they've got their own adult life. They've got their own place and they see that, you know, their parents' relationship isn't as all sunshine and roses as it, as it was before. So I think it was two like cross sections of uh, stages that any given person can be at in their life. Uh, and the the two daughters were sort of the vehicle where you experience that. And I think a lot of people can relate, whether it's to one, the other, or both. Yeah, I, I guess it's another thing that I'm a little bit at two minds of because like again it's 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 a conflict that does kind of make sense like that like hey this teenage girl become more of an activist and uh just you know uh, uh, just more of a personality like it, it made sense like and i you might i don't know how much about you know about um the comics uh for, about about young avengers which is something it seems like they are working towards at some point in this kevin feige gave an interview the other day where he said they're going to slow down the tv shows he thinks quality control reasons you know they're going to come out uh, like you know not not as not as frequently as they did in 2021 and 2022 which might be for the best but at the same time if you have all these other have this big bench now of other characters like elena kate bishop or Ironheart or the you know miss marvel like you want to if you want to do a young thing you should probably do the show before they get old because you're relying on young actors regardless like it makes sense for them to like you know make cassie like a, a bigger character and give her a personality and own interests of her own and yeah i could see where that's somewhere where they're going to clash though i i don't know like i think it kind of goes back to what i was uh and and i and i think the performance is really good too i like her a lot as an actress i've honestly seen most of everything she's done for one reason or another because i've just happened to watch like three tv shows she's been on and on 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 top of like a, a few other movies including blockers which is just a great comedy uh but like i think that i i so i enjoyed her and what I, I you made a comment about like what with what she was given to do I, i've seen some people be pretty pretty hard on her online and not like what her performance was i think maybe there's a few moments where it goes for like some comedic dialogue that's like maybe a little bit clunky and i don't blame that on her i so maybe a few moments like that that don't totally click in the movie but like for the most part i think she handles it very well and i think she's a very capable actress and i just think maybe it goes back to what i was saying with respect to the beginning of the movie with like yeah, maybe if they'd spent a little more time showing what their d- dynamic was on Earth, maybe a little bit more like it, it could. There's more emotional moments that where they like really hit with Scott and Cassie later on because I don't really remember a ton about like 
where they ultimately went with each other besides like the, him kind of telling her to go like, you know, try and like she goes to try free the prisoners and she gives the speech or whatever. He seems happy about that. And, uh, and they have the hug when they're both giant. And I don't remember a ton of other moments of, from them at the end. And I only saw the movie two days ago, but, uh, I mean, more, I, I felt that really more than anything. Well, I think that's unfair to say, but for a certain part of the movie, she, mm -hmm. she was a plot device, right? Yeah. She was kidnapped, uh, by Kang and Scott's rescue mission. Ammon's rescue mission is to go and, activate the hyperdrive core or the, the, the engine core so that he can get her back. Uh, as far as people saying that she didn't do enough or she wasn't good enough, the movie's not Ant-Man and the Wasp and Cassie, mm -hmm. right? She's, she's a character that's not necessarily on the sideline, but she's not a main character for a reason. Uh, that being said, she does have an important part to play. Um, she's a young developing actress. I, I think she did a, a pretty good job and, a, a blockbuster movie comedy chops will come it takes a long time for kind of people to find um their their depth and, and find true range but you said that she's she's been in a couple of different works that you've quite enjoyed and i think she's a good actress with a bright future yeah i can't believe we've made it this far speaking that we were just talking about performances uh what was your reaction to the modok thing Yes, yes, I've been waiting for it. I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that we were at a point where you were comfortable asking me about it. Yeah, I, know. I, I appreciate being, yeah, perfect. we're not doing a spoiler section in this thing. So, uh, I mean, did, what, what was your reaction to like actually seeing MODOK and like, were you able to like, were you able to prevent yourself from laughing every time he was on screen or do you think that was the point? <laughs> well, that's, no, that's the point. And yeah. so what a lot of people don't realize is there are certain, as I said before, there are certain characters I wasn't familiar with by the time before I saw the movie. Modoc was a character that I was actually quite familiar with because okay. Modoc's pretty heavily featured in in comic book lore, in TV shows, uh, video games, you name it. Modoc is there, but Modoc is a comic relief character, and so I and so I think they plugged that in perfectly, right? The the irony that he is the mechanized organism designed only for uh, killing, and I think his origin story was it was created by a bunch of scientists called aim and it was like only for kindness actually and then it it mm. went rogue and became self-aware did the skynet thing but uh gosh hats off to, to Corey stoll who went from the main villain in the first ant-man to a comic relief villain sort of like henchman in in this one that was and, such a good pivot it was such a good pivot and he's like a suave guy in a suit in the first movie and here he is the literal and figurative butt of the joke He's no, he's a, he's the dick of the joke, to be honest. With you. Well, I mean, because they because they show his butt at one point was what I was saying. Oh, that's right, yeah. they do. <laughs> As yeah. I said, literal and figurative butt. Yeah, they did show his butt. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, butt and butt and dick jokes at his expense. Yeah, I, uh, I I wonder if like you know you know I guess they did really want me to laugh at it as much as they went. At a certain point, I was like, are they like still wanting me to like think of him as fierce? But like every time one of the characters that knew him on the outside like sees him, it's like it happens like three times. Like, wait, Darren. It's, this the kind same, of it's the same reaction. It's the it's the running joke. Everybody yeah. can't believe that this is what he's become. And then, but then he won't even answer to Darren on the comms at one point. And he has to say Modoc, which is just yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. But like I, I I do I do I, I give uh, I give him credit for like you know being as uh, just being as ridiculous as he is, and Corey Stoll being down to like do that and like just and just be there for the fun of it. And I think it's funny also that like in some ways he is like kind of threatening and, 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 you know, he's pretty evil and capable of like fucking some shit up. But the first scene where you really have him and Scott in, in the presence of Kang and you just see that Kang doesn't respect him at all. And like throws him against the wall. Right. I think it's pretty interesting. It shows a lot about his standing, but it also shows a lot about how Kang operates. So uh, yeah, he's there for comedy, but like they, there's some other like important moments that he's a part of as well. And I, I just thought it, it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty great memorable creation for the movie. And I just thought it, it really worked comedically there. Like I said, there are a few other moments of dialogue in the movie where it almost felt like they were straining a little bit to like do some guardians type humor where like I might've even laughed, but it just didn't do executed like on the same level as guardians does with its humor. But like MODOK just made me laugh. Like every time I looked at him, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> there, yeah. I mean, there are certain, there are certain franchises in the MCU that are better at, at comedy than in others. I would say I probably put Guardians of the Galaxy at the top of that pantheon. Ant-Man is generally not far behind. Yeah. I, I think uh, as in terms of banter, uh, Paul Rudd is a pretty good, um, pretty good spark plug for, for something like that. But yeah, I, I think MODOK was one of my favorite things about this entire movie, honestly. And, 
I, I know that there was some discussion of, well, how am I supposed to take him seriously? The idea is that you're not supposed to take him seriously. He's not, he's not the main villain, right? He, on one hand, he's this killing machine on the outside and he's just got like his fat little baby face on the inside. And you're just, you're supposed to smile at that and, and you're supposed to take it for what it is. I, yeah. And, and, and one thing, and I, I, I did, and even when I said guardian type humor, like one thing where I thought they did execute that pretty well was his ending uh, where, you know, first we're like, you, you, you mentioned the dick jokes before and Cassie's like, just like, are you really still trying to make us believe this stuff? And he's like, what? And he's like, she's like, you don't have to be a dick. And then he's like, oh yeah. And he kind of like ends up like sacrificing himself a little bit at the end. And uh, it's like, well, at least I died in Avenger. And Scott's like, ah, did you really? Yeah. He, like, well, but he, he yes. anded him un- until, until he died just to m- make him feel that satisfaction that uh, and he, he like, got the job done. He's like, we, and then I think he said something, also said something the effect of Scott of like, yeah, well, you know, my we're friend, best friend or we're brothers, best, we're yeah, brothers. brothers. <laughs> it was a really funny turn, and I and I and I did appreciate that. But I I want to ask you about the the rest of the ending besides that. I mean, you know, I think uh, some some endings in Marvel films are like kind of much maligned for uh you know just like oh no this is like a, a big CGI slugfest or whatever, and a lot of people don't like those. And I think that in a lot of cases that's like an unfair you know remark. You know, when I hear a lot of people talk about Phase Four, I feel like. I feel I, I I feel like they really shit on Shang Chi for like the same things and like I that's like my favorite of Phase Four basically. Oh, I just, I'm I, a big fan of Shang Chi. Yeah, at the, yeah. At the at the end at the at the end of it, it's like you know like yeah, there's a lot of CGI, but it's like the cool badass CG, she, CGI dragon. Here, like we're, we're we're relying on the ants and a lot of like nameless, faceless, uh, you know, stormtrooper stormtrooper types that are working for Kang. Uh, and like, can I interject I, for just one second? Yeah. And the only thing that I wanted to add was. God, if you like the word ants, you're going to love this movie because they, if you played a drinking game from the time the movie started to the end, for every time they said ants, uh, you're probably going to need a stretcher out of the theater. You really know, you notice that more so than the other Ant-Man movies? Yeah, it was very odd. They they said ants so many times, like ants in the plural. Hmm. Very, very strange. Did not pick up on that. But like there is a fun, there's a little bit before we get to that in the scene, there's a whole thing where uh, Hank comes out and explains that his ants have, you know, they, they due to some time dilation stuff, they aged a thousand years, became socialists and worked together highly efficiently. So they, they have their own army to go to battle with against Kang at that point. Uh, and I, I was just saying, like, I didn't necessarily have any problem with the ending for like the CGI-ness of it all. I just found some more uh, maybe uh uh, logical, uh, some, some more logical holes possibly that I'm not really sure about. No pun intended on the holes thing again, even though that guy comes up again. Uh, you know, I'm wondering what, what did you think of that? Cause I, I kind of, part of me kind of like Scott go, going big and then charging to, up to Kang. But at the same time, like I had some questions about like Kang's abilities at this point in the movie, because like there's one moment earlier in the film where he's, and I, and I forget who, who, who it's in reference to at that point. Um, and, and maybe it's just when he's putting, uh, when he's putting one, one of the other characters back in the holding cell or whatever, he just like makes a motion with like two inches like that with his hand, like very, very slight and is able to like, you know, sentence them to be a to sentences, uh, underlings to like take that person away. And it's like very, very menacing and he barely moves his face, barely moves his arm. And that's all he needs to do to accomplish something. And, and then you also see him like basically, uh, using like incredibly powerful, like like force type powers to like throw Cassie up against the wall yeah. before he's fighting Scott. It's like, and he's obviously super jacked cause he's Jonathan majors and he just like a very, very strong, very, very powerful guy in all senses. And then all of a sudden like he gets taken out by some ants at the end. And I, and, and, and I'm wondering like what your thoughts were on that as to like, you know, just how, how that final battle sequence went and if it all kind of like worked for you in the moment. You know, I'm I'm a pretty lenient judge when it comes to this kind of stuff, sure. right? I tend not to overthink it. It's a movie about a person who controls ants and they shrink to uh, <laughs> a realm beyond comprehension and they fight sure. a, a time traveling person who has like a million variants of himself or not a, not a million, but several. But that is not an illegitimate criticism, right? The, the inconsistency of powers was something that I picked up on towards the end of the movie as well. And it wasn't just on the Kang side. It was on the, it, it was on like the Ant-Man and Cassie side. Because if you remember in uh, the second Ant-Man, when he becomes giant, man, he like falls asleep because he physically can't handle going giant for such a long period of time. Here, both he and his daughter are huge for an extended period of time. They don't get tired. Maybe that's an effect of the quantum realm where they, they don't get fatigued as much. There's a lot open to, there are a lot of questions to, to be asked there. But yeah, with, with Kang, it always felt like, do you ever watch Digimon? Yeah, it's been a while. So, so in Digimon, there was always 
every season there was always a bad Digimon that was incredibly powerful. Then they defeated him and he turned good and he was not nearly as powerful when they needed him to fight the next big villain that came up. And I kind of felt like Kang was a little bit like that where they were inconsistent with the scale of his powers. On one hand, you have this all powerful guy that could use basically something that that you can draw parallel to the force. And then 10 minutes later, he uses a shield and gets overwhelmed by ants just as really any run of the mill villain with like an energy, like a force field energy shield would, would have. I, I thought about that. That was something that, that I considered as I was walking out. I don't really know what you can say about that other than it's, it's a legitimate gripe that some people are going to have. Yeah. Um, you but, can still enjoy the movie with it and acknowledge there's like a, a little bit of a logical path. Yeah. He was going to go down so, in one, one way or another. Uh, and he's not the only one, right? There's, there are right. other ones that are either just as powerful, but maybe a little bit less ruthless or ones that are more diabolical that are, that are coming. And that's what the movie leaves you with both at the end and in the end credit scene. You know that this battle isn't over. This is just really phase two, if you think about it from a standpoint of, of Loki, because there was there was the other one who was known as he, he reigns, yeah. So overall, something that you can talk about, something that I don't think is like an unfounded criticism, but who cares? Have fun. Enjoy the movie, man. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. I guess we kind of went we kind of almost went through it chronologically there. I'm wondering, is there anything else we skipped over, Shane, or any other parts of of the uh of of the movie that we didn't talk about that you wanted to at least touch on or shout out as something you particularly enjoyed or wanted to highlight uh you know that's it's interesting because i'm i'm gonna think about that on my feet right now and um i thought that the dynamic between uh between hank and and janet was explored a lot further in in this one than it was in other movies that was something that i really enjoyed and what Hope, was, I think was like the was stuff excellent. talking about talking about their lives when they were apart. You mean, or the the, the lives when they were apart? Uh, they made it seem like it was this perfect romance during the first uh, during the first two movies, and obviously, like they've had trust issues that you know go a little bit further back than than we thought. Man, I'm glad that we talked about Modoc. I think that was <laughs> that was one of the things that uh, that that I loved too. Um, we should, we should... And one one of the things that I wanted to add before we finished up were, was if we're looking at this from a standpoint of what can you do from here? The That was going to be my last question for you is like what, what you're most exciting about now looking forward in the MCU. I mean, the signal, uh, the signal in the portal of the quantum realm has been created. It's now open. Uh, they can go in and out as they please. So you may not have seen the last of these quantum realm characters. Uh, and there, there may be a time or, or a Marvel TV show where somebody has to go back because there's a new threat in the quantum realm. And so Marvel has a couple of options that, that uh, they can go with at this point. They can send some of our regular heroes out in the real world back into the quantum realm. They can bring some of the quantum realm heroes out into, into the real world. And I think, I think that'll be interesting to see what they do uh in terms of whether they do one the other neither or both i'm excited about loki season two they had this post uh this post credit stinger here where uh you see um mobius and mobius luke wilson's character and loki kind of looking on as uh, victor timely one of the king variants is in like kind of the early 1900s uh showing off a showing off some sort of time machine i guess and we don't really see a ton else besides that but like if Lo if loki season two is going to be all about like chasing down kang and now me as a guy that's not a comics reader knows a little more about kang i think it'll just be interesting maybe a little easier for me to get invested like i i do, I do think loki season one was objectively like a really good show but i've always had a little bit of a barrier to entry and like really caring all that much about loki or feeling like i should like you know take it seriously that he's still around given like all the messed up crap he did in the first Avengers movie. It's like, this guy's a mass murderer. Like, why are we yeah. just treating him like some charming fellow? And it's now that I like might actually under, he's going to be kind of cordoned off doing this time jumping. But like, now that I understand like that, he is the, the threat he is up against and like what they're doing against Kang, I might be a little more invested in him and caring about him despite his uh, really morally dubious past, because it's like, all right, I know that like a lot is at stake here and he's one of the only ones that is in a position to like stop him. So I think I might even like Loki season two more than season one. So I'm looking forward to both that. And like, if they ever do the young Avengers thing, like I just really like Catherine Newton as an actress and, and along with like Haley Steinfeld and, you know, Florence Pugh, like I would very much like something like that to happen where they are all doing something. 
Uh, but who knows what will have to when when we'll get that or what will have to happen in the rest of the MCU for them to actually need a young Avengers unit. But you know, who yeah. Knows? So I know that I know that they're they're building a lineup, and I'm excited about that. And I I wanted to just uh, go back to one thing that you you had mentioned and yeah. kind of touched on throughout the pod, which is I'm curious about Kang. And mm-hmm. so I know you're not like a huge cartoon animation guy. Uh, but if you are curious and want to sort of peel back the layers on Kang and get to know a little bit about just how powerful he is um, and, and what a layered villain he is. There was an old show that I used to watch in college. It's called Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I don't know these days where you can find it. You might be able to find it on Disney+. Plus. I actually can look it up while I'm, while I'm monologuing about it. Uh, but there is a really good Kang the Conqueror arc in hmm. in that and so anybody whether it's you or anybody that wants to discover a little bit more about the marvel universe and wants to uh explore a couple of different characters though some of their mcu counterparts are probably a little bit different especially that guardians of the galaxy episode of that series but there's probably a three or four episode uh kang the conqueror arc in earth's mightiest heroes uh, that would be worth checking out if you're a little bit more curious about kang moving forward it is on disney plus confirmed uh, there you go. So th- 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 thank you for the recommendation. Um, and yeah, I mean, before we finish up, anything else about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that we did not touch on, Shane, that you want to talk about? Man, I, I think we're good. Uh, okay. Ant-Man is one of my favorite franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I'm biased in that respect <laughs> because I like, a mo- I like a series that doesn't take itself too seriously. As I alluded to before, it would have been cool to have, uh, have Michael Pena and, and T.I. come back was wondering like yeah yeah is a little problematic now i think he's made some uh pretty iffy comments yeah i didn't know pretty iffy he's some pretty pretty iffy for some pretty i don't want to say he's been fully canceled but he has some pretty iffy comments on gender rules and uh you know what he wants his daughters doing and not doing that kind of thing uh but like no no reason louise couldn't have like come to the quantum realm you know what i mean like it would have been fun to like uh have him be like a fish out of water in this stuff and doing something or just if they had spent a little more time in san francisco and found a way to have him make a couple cameos or him him react to him like recapping shit that happened while scott was gone or or something yeah. like that you know see, like, that would, see that would have been that would have yeah. been really nice let me mm-hmm. recap all the things that that happened while you were gone but look bottom line is if you it's not too too long of a movie there are certain movies where people say two and a half hours a little bit too long yeah they're, they got in out in two yeah two two hours of fun is what you're gonna get with ant-man and the wasp quantum mania all right well I, yeah I, I i don't have a ton to add either i'll just say like look i I came in with incredibly low expectations and it, it exceeded them. So that is what I will give it. I do hope that like, you know, uh, I, I, it's not my favorite of the MC movies. It's maybe at best middle of the pack, but like, again, I had braced myself for something way worse based on where the critics are on this. And I think, I think they need to lighten up a bit. There was plenty of fun things to enjoy about this and a, an incredible, uh, new actor is now, you know, Shep, uh, is now going to be like a stalwart throughout the next couple of phases as a villain in in a lot of different ways. And I think that's something we have to look forward to. So, yeah. uh, Shane, you mentioned the, uh, Disney plus show at this point in the podcast, we normally tell people to plug anything else they're watching that they want to recommend or just anything they want to recommend, whether it be, is there anything else you, you've been watching recently? You want to point people too i thought you would never ask mm. uh, so netflix show just came out uh off of the heels of the very successful formula one drive to survive series i'm watching break point on netflix behind the scenes look at the lives of top tennis players as they travel across the globe uh it seems as if they're dropping basically five episodes at a time right around the time that the major tournaments come out uh, if you've been curious about tennis, even if you're a pickleball person and want to watch the actual real non-lazy version of that sport and, and want to see the, the players play, it's a pretty good in-depth look. It varies from tur- tournament to tournament. It'll take a look at one player at the, for instance, the Australian Open, and it'll take a look at another player at a tournament down the line, for instance, the French Open. Uh, if you're into tennis, if you're into drama, if you like sports related documentaries even if you don't like sports related documentaries there's a lot of human interest that that's in it that goes uh outside the world of tennis so check that out it's on netflix uh, and i think there's probably going to be more episodes to come over the next couple of months oh all right well that's uh, yeah i i I heard they'd done a tennis thing i hadn't gotten as much publicity as this probably this new golf one on a certain channel oh yeah they got a golf one now Uh, yeah Golf's boring. Golf's tough to watch. I'm okay with playing golf, but gosh, watching it is just such a bore. I knew you liked watching tennis. I didn't know where you stood on golf, but like, uh, you know, I it's a 
you know, I, I, I'd heard a lot of people talking about it, comparing it to like, can they even like hope to compete with Drive to Survive? So I'd forgotten about the Netflix one or the, the tennis one. That's good. You uh, put it out there. Cause you know, if you know, I, I know that I, I don't watch uh, Drive to Survive, but I know every, a ton of people who do, and it seems like it's really helped that sport. So, you know, if it helps the health of tennis and people can get into it, I think, I think that's a really good thing. Agree. Uh, let's I, do, let's do a remote and we, then we can go to the Miami open and we can do a special edition of the pod on Breakpoint. Ah, interesting. What when is the Miami Open? Uh end of next month. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't always do TV shows. Maybe that sounds that sounds more like a business on top special that I, I that I would be happy to be a guest on, you know. Deal. But uh but yeah, the uh I I actually don't have a ton else to recommend at the moment. I'm I'm basically like, you know, just I'm 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 like running uh, I'm I'm running low on recommendations because I'm just doing a ton of pods up here in advance of the Oscars. So I've already uh said most of the other stuff I've watched that I've think it's worth recommending on the pod so we'll uh save my recommendations for uh for, for next time shane uh what anything you want to plug personally with respect to the podcast your own podcast or social media before you get out of here i'm always happy to plug the business on top podcast the business on top podcast where we talk about anything and everything it's uh the seinfeld of podcasts says no one ever but i'll tell you we've got a new episode coming out this week uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. This is actually the signature month for Business on Top. Really? Uh, although we had some weddings and some family affairs get in the way, we're doing our uh, edition of Food Challenge February. And our feature event is going to be the Wendy's 4 for 4 by 4 where we try to run uh, a mile. And in between each lap, we are going to eat one item out of the Wendy's uh, 4 for 4 meal. And we're doing it for time. So business on top podcast, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on Apple podcasts featuring myself, Ben Siegel and VJ Patel. Uh, if you're looking for a little bit of fun, in addition to learning a lot about movies on Josh's podcast, that's where you go. You guys have done food stuff before for like Taco Bell involved, right? Like in physical activity or, or, well, we're or always eating. Just eating, or is it usually just eating contests? You've never, have you ever combined it with like a physical activity like this before with your eating challenges? Well, my suggestion for a number of years was actually to do a beer 5k. And what that, we were going to do is yeah. we we're going to put in a three mile stretch of road in South Florida, put one beer at each mile, one beer at each mile or at a mile and a half mark, and then, uh, run back and do that for time. But I think, uh, as, as the pandemic wore on us, and as I think we've all put on a little bit of LBs, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that the beer 5k is going to be uh, as good of an idea as we thought. That just sounds disgusting too. The South Florida part of that, it's like by the time you get to the last one of those beers, it'd be really warm and that would just make you throw up before you could finish. Oh yeah. You'd be, Um, you'd be slogging on that third mile. It would not be a pretty sight. Yeah. So as Shane said, they talk about everything on their podcast, all kinds of content, including food challenges. And uh, one of these days we are going to to make our crossover event happen that we've been talking about for two years now. So I, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at RealOnMoviePod. Podcast email is RealOnMoviePod at gmail.com. Send all of your feedback that way. Coming up next on the pod, I'm sh- I haven't actually figured out who's joining yet, but I'm sure we're going to do an episode on Cocaine Bear, which comes out a few days from the recording of this podcast. And uh, I, I, and I'm not sure exactly what's after that yet, but uh, every, but like it will also uh, in, in before the Oscars, we'll have our top ten of 2022 podcasts out as well. So uh, thanks again to Shane for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.